the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Well, the Advent Christmas season is right in front of us. Ready or not, it's here. Recall that the last Sunday in November kicks off this four-week prelude that for us 21st century Christians really helps us prepare for what we now call Christmas. You've heard me say before that growing up in a mainline Christian denomination helped me to appreciate the annual cycle of the Christian year. This includes the seasonal themes that were reinforced and which especially deepened my understanding and significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, friends, the claim that Christianity makes for Christmas is that at a particular time and place in human history, God himself came to live with us. When Quirinius was governor of Syria, in a little town called Bethlehem, a child was born who, beyond the ability of anyone to imagine, was the high and lofty one made humble and helpless. The one who inhabited eternity came to dwell in time. This one whom none can look at and live was delivered in a stable feeding trough under the gaze of farm animals. When Yeshua, we know him as Jesus, finally made his entrance in that inconspicuous stable, the sky was filled with singing angels. Clearly, something new was brewing on planet Earth. The Father of mercies put himself at our mercy. Well, friends, this is our Advent Christmas series title, Something New Was Brewing on Planet Earth. And today, part one is called A Season of Newness. And the actors and actresses who step onto the stage of the great and wonderful drama known as The Christmas Story are probably among the most familiar people to most of us. There's, of course, the superstar, not meant disrespectfully at all. Jesus Christ himself, or the Christ child, or baby Jesus, who plays the leading role, if you will. Then there's the supporting cast of characters, among whom are most notably Mary and Joseph, the parents of 
baby Jesus, Mary to whom the announcement came before she was married via the angel Gabriel that she would give birth to the Messiah, and Joseph, who makes a cameo appearance in Matthew's gospel, initially a concerned and troubled fiancé, who learns that his betrothed is with child without his participation. Additional supporting cast members would include the shepherds, whose routine it was to watch over their flocks by night, or perhaps the angel who appeared to the shepherds and subsequently became part of the multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And who could forget the famous governor of Syria, the man whose name most children and even some adults stumble over when reciting the Christmas story recorded in Luke, Quirinius. Quirinius who? Of course, another name that lives in infamy is the Caesar, Caesar Augustus, that is, whose decree went out to take a census throughout the empire. Remember, it was this very census that drove Joseph and Mary, while late in her pregnancy, from their hometown in Nazareth to Bethlehem, because it was the city of Joseph's ancestry. Perhaps among these supporting cast members, we might add the unnamed innkeeper, who will forever remain shrouded in mystery this side of eternity, the only clue to his part in this Christmas drama being one sentence, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn." By the way, manger, friends, is a kind description for fodder crib or feeding trough, where the animals fed, probably filled with regurgitated straw and warm saliva. No wonder they immediately wrapped baby Jesus in cloths. Additionally, the wise men certainly qualify as supporting caste members, astrologers likely from a priestly caste in the media Persian region, who were watching the stars and who interpreted a particular configuration of stars or constellations as predicting the birth of an important king. These wise men then naturally connect us to another supporting caste member, the infamous Herod the king, whose paranoia and insecurity over the threat of a new king being born on his turf led him to issue an edict to slaughter all male children two years and under who resided in Bethlehem and its surrounding territory. And, of course, we can't leave out the notorious chief priests and scribes who could quote the Hebrew prophecy where the Messiah was to be born, Micah 5.2, yet did they go to greet and worship their Messiah, the newborn Savior King? No! It's pretty clear that chief priests and scribes succumbed to the same paranoia and insecurity that Herod succumbed to. A Messiah would undermine their religious power base and their spiritual authority over the people. Friends, they liked the status quo. They didn't want their control disrupted or overthrown. But they were willing to be a little more patient than Herod. They waited 30 years to plot Jesus' execution. 
It's interesting that only during Jesus' public ministry, their underlying motivation is brought out in the open. And it's also interesting that only Matthew sneaks in his editorial comment after Jesus' sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount covers three chapters, Matthew 5-7. through You might be thinking, how does the Sermon on the Mount tie in with the Christmas story? Well, it's in Matthew's summation of Jesus' sermon that clues us into the scribe's mindset. In 7, 28 and 29, we read, The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Did you hear that, friends? Thanks to Matthew, we get to see that Jesus' teaching came with authority, a kind of authority the common people recognized as being different than their own scribes. Friends, this becomes the basis for the growing suspicion of all of their Jewish religious leaders that Jesus is chipping away at their very own religious power base, a base they will even kill to maintain. Well, friends, let's not forget to include in the Christmas drama's supporting cast of characters Zechariah and Elizabeth, the soon-to-be parents of John the Baptist, and the angelic visitation to Zechariah in the temple, also by the angel Gabriel, and that Zechariah was struck dumb by the angel for not believing that Elizabeth, who was barren, was prophesied to become pregnant and bear them a son. We should also include Simeon, who, after Jesus was presented to God in the temple, prophesied over Jesus and gave a blessing to Mary and Joseph. Or how about Anna, the prophetess, who, being in the temple at the time of Jesus' presentation, began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Jesus to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. But I dare say, friends, that we rarely, if ever, consider how the first Christmas impacted a character who, in my opinion, also deserves to be on the stage of this great and wonderful drama we now affectionately call the Christmas story. Because, friends, the first Christmas had a profound effect on this person, an effect so radical that it has reverberated down to the present time, an effect so far-reaching that it has significantly impacted how we've defined the way we understand our relationship with Jesus Christ and how we relate to him in our life of faith, an effect so all-encompassing that this person would cast off the old clothes of the law of Moses, don the righteous robes of his Messiah, and exclaim, To live is Messiah, to die is gain. Well, by now, some of you listening may have figured out that I'm referring to Saul of Tarsus, or as we have come to know him, Paul the Apostle. And interestingly, friends, Paul's Christmas aha moment actually occurs in his letter to the Galatians. Perhaps you recall this simple statement he makes in chapter 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. You see, friends, the permanent solution to humanity's sin problem was embodied in this baby Jesus, this Son of God, born of a woman. 
the heart of the Christmas message pops up in several of Paul's amazing aha moments. In other words, in his carefully crafted Christmas one-liners, as I call them like this one in Galatians 3.19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Here's another Christmas one-liner of Paul's in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see, friends, Paul doesn't need a birth narrative or lengthy account of the baby Jesus' entrance into the world. He has these incredibly charged, spiritually enriching one-liners. And these distinctive Pauline one-liners are in keeping with the customary Christmas accounts found in the Gospels with reference to the purpose of Jesus' birth into the world. In Matthew one twenty-one, we learn that an angel of the Lord said to Joseph in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. In Luke 2.11, part of the angel's message to the shepherds included, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This would have been heard by the original audience as Messiah Yahweh, or Messiah God. So, friends, Messiah's entrance into the world, Christ's entrance into the world, we know it as the Incarnation, signaled for the Apostle Paul a season of newness. In the spirit of the musicians from D.C. Talk, Paul realized that God was doing a new thing. So I propose to you, friends, that this is precisely what Paul intended to communicate in another of his well-known one-liners in 2 Corinthians 5.21, but wrapped up in verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Messiah and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Messiah, not counting people's sins against them. Then he goes on to say, We are Messiah's ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin or a sin offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, the word creation in this text, friends, carries with it both the act of creating and the product created. And this is why English translations alternate between creation and creature. And it becomes evident that this idea of newness really captured Paul, as is seen in his repeated usage of expressions containing the word new, as it relates to the ministry of Messiah in bringing salvation. Let's continue with two more one-liners. Galatians 6.15, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Romans 6, 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life or walk in newness of life. 
Then there are these statements, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. Don't you know that a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. This is a reference to uniting or reconciling Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians 4, 22-24 Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pause here for a moment. Friends, if you tuned in late, you're listening to A Word from the Word. With me, your host, Pastor Tom. I want to take a moment to let you know how valuable you are in lis- as listeners to A Word from the Word. This program is 100% listener-supported. Your financial partnership is essential to help keep this program on the air, which disciples many Christians who don't have a church home or those who've been wounded by the institutional church. You can join forces with A Word from the Word by email me for support details at a word from the word at minister.com and I'll repeat this info at the end of the broadcast now back to the representative scriptures of Paul we just read it becomes evident friends that for Paul literally a new world was born a new order in the world was being instituted old things and old ways of doing things have really passed away Something new was brewing on planet Earth. And why this Advent Christmas series is called Christmas, Something New Was Brewing on Planet Earth. You see, friends, the Christ event, as it's referred to in theology, was very significant for Paul. And for a quick review, by Christ event, we mean the total package, the total life of Christ as it was manifest in his birth, life and ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension. And the Christ event also includes the understanding of God becoming a human being, poignantly expressed in the Hebrew word Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So for the Apostle Paul, this event, this Christ event, signaled a season of newness. It also signaled a season of fullness. Recall Galatians 4.4 that we read earlier. When the time had fully come, or when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, Mary, born under the law, the law of Moses, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So, I propose to you, friends, that the revelation of and the historical coming of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, prompted the prompted Paul to realize its newness, and it was the newness of God's revelation in Messiah Jesus that prompted Paul to recognize its fullness, fullness in the sense of fulfilling a long-standing plan of God. Friends, Paul says in Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, he, 
God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Messiah to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, or regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Messiah, things in the heavenlies and things on earth. These very sentiments of Paul echo the words of Jesus when he began his public ministry. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, we read, After John, this is John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Paul also seemed to recognize that this Christ event signaled the beginning of the end of God's program within human history. This Christ event then represented the fulfillment of promises made long ago by God to the nation of Israel. Interestingly, Paul begins his letter to Titus with, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Messiah, for the faith of God's chosen and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at the proper time, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. And so, friends, this Christ event became the ultimate and final mighty act in a series of divine redemptive acts in Israel's history. <laughs> For a Jew, and particularly Saul, turned Paul... This is quite a revelation. You see, friends, 2,000 plus years ago, something new was brewing on planet Earth. It's so easy. You know, 2,000 years later, the challenge for us is to celebrate not just Christmas, in other words, just the birth of Christ, but the newness that Christmas brought and symbolizes, because that newness brought our newness. Friends, isn't it easy to fall into the pattern of merely celebrating a past event? But the past event will lose its power and impact if it is not brought forward in our lives in the present, in the here and now. And, friends, I believe at least one key message from this drama known as the Christmas story that we can bring forward in time and live out in our day is the message of newness, especially during this season of newness that we call Advent. In other words, celebrating our newness of life because Christ has come. Why not wake up each day and rather than mumble or settle into same old, same old, why not wake up and declare, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. As Psalm 118.24 declares, and by the way, friends, this is a messianic prophecy of Messiah's coming. It's not just any day. Why not wake up every morning expecting God to do something new? Dr. Randy Carlson, counselor and founder of Intentional Living, a ministry of Family Life Radio, once challenged his listening audience with, Don't be a living routine, be a living creation. Obviously echoing this one-liner from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17. 
If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. An emerging rock and acapella band from the 1970s and 1980s, Glad, wrote a song called In the First Light, which began with these words, In the first light of a new day, no one knew he had arrived. Things continued as they had been, while a newborn softly cried. But the heavens, wrapped in wonder, knew the meaning of his birth. In the weakness of a baby, they knew God had come to earth. Well, friends, as the Jewish people in the first century had a sense of anticipation and expectation in their longing for the coming of their promised Messiah, let us develop a personal, family, and or corporate sense of anticipation and expectation ourselves and build this into our preparation for celebrating this Christmas season. Let's be careful and not get plagued or sucked into the fake news version. You know, that commercialized and merchandised version that's marred the Western world's celebration of Christmas? So, friends, let's take full advantage of these four preparatory weeks of Advent and reclaim the true meaning of Christmas and proactively prevent the holiday's spiritual reality from being ripped away. I'd like to pray for us all as we're at the threshold of this Advent season. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for us. Unbelievers live all around us. Lord, may we live in such a way that our lights are shining bright before them, that they will see what you have done and are still doing, and then glorify you on the day you visit them and reveal yourself to them. In the name of Jesus, the Messiah of the world. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program, which will close out with an email where you may write me. This email is also where you can inquire about financially helping to keep a word from the word on the air. Thanks to those of you who are already financial partners of this weekly broadcast. I truly appreciate your faithful support. I love coming alongside those of you without a church home or who have been wounded by the institutional church. All podcasts may be accessed at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts, then scroll to a word from the word. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends. If you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.